Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Warren and I bring you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, we have an update on the massive Bible translation organization, Wycliffe Associates. The group's public relations and fundraising material says it can complete Bible translations in a matter of weeks, but are their claims true? Also on today's program, Willow Creek Community Church, which has been embroiled in controversy for years, has a new pastor, and we'll introduce you to him. Plus, the Southern Baptist Church's Russell Moore weighs in on the question, should churches take the government's COVID-19 relief funds? All that and a lot more on today's edition of the Ministry Watch podcast. We begin today with a story we've been following for a couple of weeks, and that is a story of opposition to Samaritan's Purse Central Park Field Hospital. Yeah, on Tuesday of this week, a group of LGBTQ activists protested at the Samaritan's Purse Field Hospital uh, that the ministry had set up on the famous East Meadow Lawn in Central Park. They blasted city and state officials in Mount Sinai Hospital for partnering with Samaritan's Purse, which is now treating overflow patients suffering from the coronavirus. Activists with a group called Reclaim Pride Coalition held signs saying, help not hate, and they called out New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, Governor Andrew Cuomo, and the leadership of Mount Sinai Hospital itself just across the park for allowing the organization to set up. The organization, of course, headed by Evangelist Franklin Graham. The LGBTQ coalition is the latest in a series of barbs aimed at Samaritan's Purse since it opened a 68-bed field hospital in Central Park two weeks ago. The hospital is staffed with Christian doctors and nurses experienced in treating infectious diseases, but Samaritan's Purse policies do require most contractors and some full-time volunteers to sign a statement of faith that includes a declaration that says that marriage is exclusively between one man and one woman. Warren, you've been following this controversy from the beginning. Do you have any thoughts about this? Well, I do. I've been critical of some of Franklin Graham's practices over the years. It bothers me that he doesn't fully disclose his salary to the public, for example. Uh, we've seen some evidence that his compensation is actually close to about a million dollars a year. That's a lot for a ministry that supposedly cares for the poor. Yeah, it is. But I will say this about Franklin Graham and about Samaritan's Purse. They go into some of the most dangerous dangerous places on the planet, and they never ask for money from the people they're serving. Uh, One quick example, I went to Liberia with Samaritan's Purse a couple of years ago to see the work that they did there during the Ebola crisis. And Natasha, I got to tell you, if you think the COVID-19 scare is really scary, uh, you should read about Ebola. And Samaritan's Purse was in the thick of it. They sent their staff into harm's way, and uh, they didn't ask for a dime from the people of Liberia. In fact, they built a beautiful new hospital in Monrovia, Liberia, uh, to support their work there. And that hospital uh, remains to this day to serve the people of Liberia, and it'll be there for decades to come. So what about the protests in New York? There are elected officials in New York who have criticized Graham and Samaritan's Purse. 
Yeah, Franklin Graham has said plainly, though, that uh, we provide our services to everyone, regardless of race, ethnicity, religion, sexual orientation. We don't discriminate, period. And the people protesting have not provided one shred of evidence that Samaritan's Purse has done anything except provide world-class health care without charge in a very dangerous setting. Uh, They're using this crisis to make political points and Frankly, Natasha, I find that pretty reprehensible. In fact, I would just kind of close by saying that uh, I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina, as we say at the top of every program. That's uh, what folks in New York and L.A. call flyover country. So maybe I don't know how they do things in the big city, but where I'm from, when someone gives you a gift, especially a gift of this magnitude, the right response is to simply say thank you. Warren, I want to cover briefly one more COVID story before we move on, and that's the story of Russell Moore saying that he thinks it's okay for churches to take the government relief money. Yeah, Russell Moore is sometimes called the Southern Baptist Convention's top ethicist, and he said he saw no problem with churches applying for government loans as part of the coronavirus relief legislation that was enacted last month. And just to recap a bit, the legislation provides $350 billion to the Small Business Administration to extend loans to small businesses, including churches and ministries. And these loans can be used to pay off salaries, including those for pastors, and utility bills. And the loans will be forgiven if the ministry keeps their staff Yeah, Moore said that he saw no First Amendment or church-state entanglement issues associated with these loans. And it's likely that what he says on this matter will have some impact because the Southern Baptist Convention is the nation's largest Protestant denomination. It has about 47,000 churches. But Moore said also, and this is true to the Baptist belief in the autonomy of the local church, that each church should decide for itself, should obey its own conscience. And last week, the United Methodist Church, the nation's second largest Protestant group, gave churches the green light to apply for SBA's loans. Yeah, they did. And I should add that Moore also said that he didn't think the government asking churches to social distance or stop services altogether was in itself a violation of religious liberty uh, because they were the government was asking all organizations, not just churches, to do that. He did say, though, that in the situation in Louisville, Kentucky, where Mayor Greg Fisher Uh, made a decision to ban drive-in-style religious gatherings on Easter was, in Russell Moore's words, stupid because it did single out a religious event. He also said that there was a case in Greenville, Mississippi, where the city attempted to shut down uh, drive-in religious services that was even more egregious. But finally, Russell Moore said that those cases were rare. I guess that's the good news. And his advice would be that we try not to make a federal case out of those, but that we work those things out locally. Warren, we have to take a quick break, but when we return, more troubles at Wycliffe Associates. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs. And I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. 
Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Weekly Podcast. Up next is a story I promised to you before the break, a new Ministry Watch investigation into Wycliffe Associates. Yeah, Wycliffe Associates claims that it has developed new strategies for delivering the Bible to people in countries that are hostile to the gospel. Uh, and its president, Wycliffe Associates president, Bruce Smith, says that that process is producing miraculous results. Uh, one of the techniques that they use is a print-on-demand or POD system, which enables workers to print quickly and distribute Bibles. The other is what they call MAST, which stands for Mobilized Assistance Supporting Translation. Now, Bruce Smith and Wycliffe Associates claims that that can deliver a new translation in just a matter of weeks or months at the most, rather than in the past, it's taken years or in some cases decades to produce new translations. That is a very impressive series of claims, and it appeals to evangelicals who care about the gospel going to the ends of the earth, and also who care about the persecuted Christians in other parts of the world. But are these claims by Bruce Smith and Wycliffe Associates true? Well, like many of the statements of Wycliffe Associates I've discovered, um, they're hard to verify. It's not clear, for example, how many print-on-demand printers have actually been delivered uh, around the world. We made repeated requests here at Ministry Watch. I made them personally uh, to Wycliffe Associates to try to determine the number of printers, and uh, all those requests went unanswered. Wycliffe Associates spokesman, Don Hallman, though, did respond to me and say that it takes about 25 thousand dollars to install a printer in a closed country and that Wycliffe Associates uh, released a press release that said that they were trying to raise money for three new printers. Presumably that means they're trying to raise about $75,000 to respond to those requests, which is kind of odd because the ministry does about $50 million a year in income. It kind of makes you wonder what the real motive here is in that press release. But once again, we don't know because we keep asking questions and they keep not answering. Ministry Watch asked for a list of countries that had so far received the POD systems. And once again, Wycliffe has not provided that list. The print-on-demand system complements Wycliffe Associates' MAST translation method. Now, Warren, can you define again what MAST means? Yeah, as I said before, MAST is an acronym that stands for Mobilized Assistance Supporting Translation. But what it really is is a, like a process. It's a series of workshops and and training and kind of a process to take local native speakers uh, to be uh, at the center of the translation process. Wycliffe Associates said that when it first piloted a MAST program in 2014, a team of 13 translators working 12-hour days drafted 48 percent of the New Testament in just two weeks. Now, that's a pretty remarkable um, 
claim, uh, and it, so Wycliffe has been promoting Mass in its PR and fundraising materials, and Wycliffe Associates, since that first workshop in 2014, has raised literally tens of millions of dollars by claiming that Mass reduces the translation time um, from decades to weeks. But I take it that some of these claims are a little overblown. Well, the assertions have uh, since been disputed by some independent observers. A 2015 peer review assessment team, which was funded by the McClellan Foundation, included members of other Bible translation organizations, and they said, and this is a quote from that report, the rate of progress and the quality achieved clearly do not substantiate the widely publicized claims made uh, for the accelerated rate of translation. And um, so they called into pretty serious question the MAST methodology. And a couple of weeks ago, we reported here on the Ministry Watch podcast that Wycliffe Associates resigned its membership in the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. Yeah, that's right. And though the resignation was voluntary, it came while Wycliffe Associates was under review by the ECFA for making the very fundraising claims about mass that we just discussed. Uh, ECFA standards say pretty plainly that your fundraising claims must be truthful, and Wycliffe Associates resigned before the ECFA could finish its investigation. Are there other claims by Wycliffe Associates that you found to be troubling? Well, in an April 1 press release, uh, Wycliffe Associates said that it had translated 318 New Testaments using MAST. That same press release also said that over 1,350 translations were currently in progress using MAST. Uh, those are pretty specific claims, so I asked for a list of those translations. In fact, I asked repeatedly for that list, and so far, Wycliffe Associates has not produced uh, the list. Now, before we leave this story, Warren, I want you to clear up something. There have been a lot of organizations that have used the word Wycliffe in its name. You've been clear that this is Wycliffe Associates and not Wycliffe Bible Translators. Yeah, that's right. I have tried to be clear. Of course, John Wycliffe, the famous historical figure, the man that translated the Bible into English for the first time, is who they're all named after. But there are, as you say, a whole lot of organizations named Wycliffe. Wycliffe Bible Translators has been around much longer than Wycliffe Associates. In fact, Wycliffe Bible Translators helped found Wycliffe Associates. But I want to be clear, they are now completely separate organizations and have been since the 1990s. When I refer to Wycliffe Associates, that is not the same as Wycliffe Bible Translators. Thank you for clearing that up. That's helpful. Now we have to take another break, but when we return, we'll look at the evangelical advisors of the Christian Post. What did they know and when did they know it? I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's Save the Storks, 
www.thepodcastnetwork.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. As I promised before the break, the results of a close look at the evangelical leaders who make up the editorial advisory board of the Christian Post. Now, Warren, Ministry Watch has done several articles about the Christian Post lately. Yeah, that's right. We have. And I should credit Steve Raby, our Colorado Springs-based reporter, for doing a lot of great work on this series. Part one in Steve's series examined uh, the money laundering scheme uh, to which a former Christian Post CEO, William Anderson, pled guilty a couple of months ago. Um, That was a fraud that involved more than $35 million. And by the way, I should mention that we are expecting him to be sentenced in the week ahead, so we'll probably have yet another update on this story uh, next week. Now, part two of Steve Raby's um, series examined the Christian Post's influence in the Christian world and how it built that influence by associating itself with legitimate Christian leaders. The latest article in our series, the one up on our website this week and the one that we'll talk about, uh, talks about those very leaders themselves. Um, They took sort of a hear no evil, see no evil approach, and when we think they should have been uh, asking tough questions about the Christian posts, they really were not doing so. So Ministry Watch reached out to the list of evangelical leaders listed as editorial advisors on the Christian Post website. What did you ask them? Well, the first thing that we asked them is if they were aware of the crimes committed uh, by uh, William Anderson, the president, former president of the Christian Post. Uh, Some of those crimes, by the way, did involve the Christian Post itself. For example, they were uh, releasing fraudulent page view numbers at the Christian Post as well. And um, so we asked whether the advisors were aware of that, Uh, despite the fact that there was a huge public uh, outcry whenever it happened. When William Anderson pled guilty in February to fraud, money laundering, and conspiracy, it appeared in almost every major newspaper in the country. And what did they say? Well, only about half of them even responded to us, even though we made repeated inquiries, and the responses that we did receive were kind of all over the board. Uh, One thing is already clear, though. It turns out that most of the advisors haven't been doing much advising or even, for that matter, having a lot of personal contact with anyone at the Christian Post for years, but their names remained on the Christian Post as editorial advisors, and that lent credibility uh, to an organization that was trying to legitimize itself among evangelical Christians. And you might even say uh, that it was padding the resumes of those advisors themselves. And one of the advisors was Dan Kimball, and I, I hear that he had an interesting response. Yeah, Dr. Dan Kimball is the founding pastor of Vintage Faith Church. It's a church in Northern California. He's also a professor at George Fox University, so a guy, you know, with solid uh, evangelical credentials. He said that he had not heard about the illegal activities uh, admitted to by executives of the Christian Post and the other companies that are connected with the controversial South Korean leader David Jang. Uh, This plea of ignorance turned out to be a pretty common uh, 
refrain from the advisors that we contacted, uh, despite the fact, as I said a few moments ago, that World Magazine, Christianity Today, Ministry Watch, um, the New York Times, uh, and Bloomberg had all reported the questionable activities uh, by David Yang and, and his association with the Christian Post. Those reports go all the way back to 2012. In fact, in recent months, the coverage was also picked up by Mother Jones Magazine, BuzzFeed, and other publications. That, what was funny and interesting about his response, uh, in fact, I would say it would be humorous if it uh, wasn't so poorly informed, he, he sent an email back to us that said, yikes, I had no idea that any of that was going on. He also said that he hadn't had any contact with the Christian Post leadership for at least six years. And I understand that Kimball has since been taken off the Christian Post website. Yeah, that's right. That's another theme that we've discovered, Natasha. After we questioned him, uh, he asked the Christian Post to remove his name and photo from their website, and they did. And that also goes for Penny Young Nance, the president of Concerned Women for America, who had lent her name and photo and credibility to the Christian Post as well. Now, why do you say that they lent credibility to the Christian Post? Well, because they David Jang, who owns the Christian Post, does not hold to biblical Orthodox Christian views. Those views have been fully explored in places like Christianity Today. But by having mainstream evangelical leaders associated with him, he kind of creates the impression that he's one of us, that his views are the same as the biblical evangelical views of the people whose names are on the website. Who are some of the other people Ministry Watch looked into? Well, Richard Land is the president of Southern Evangelical Seminary, a seminary which, by the way, specializes in Christian apologetics, in other words, identifying when somebody is preaching a false religion. Uh, he is also the Christian Post executive editor. We reached out to uh, Dr. Land to see if he was aware of his employer's crimes. Uh, we also asked uh, Land if, uh, as a theologian, he was concerned about lending his credibility to an organization that has views that don't align with Scripture. But he told Ministry Watch, I never experienced any interference from them. I could write whatever I wanted. Another person that uh, is on the editorial advisory board who did not respond to our inquiries is Johnny Moore. Uh, Johnny Moore is a very influential evangelical leader. He's been an advisor to Donald Trump. He was on the staff at Liberty University and ran their um, famous convocation, which is a kind of a regular chapel that includes every single person on uh, Liberty's campus. Tens of thousands of people um, will show up for those events. Uh, he was in, listed as an advisor on the site, but he didn't respond to any of our, our requests for comment. Neither did Samuel Rodriguez, who is the president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference. And by the way, Natasha, I know all of these men. Uh, in fact, every single person that we've mentioned so far, um, except for uh, Dan Kimball, I have met personally, and I believe them to be honorable Christian men. In, but I just think they should have asked tougher questions. And I understand that some of the advisors weren't happy with your questions. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, the Reverend Mark Creech is the executive director of the Christian Action League uh, here in North Carolina. I've known Mark Creech for more than 20 years. Uh, Mark Creech is an unpaid columnist for the Christian Post and also for other publications. And uh, he, like I say, was uh, pretty unhappy with our questions. In fact, he said, I'm less certain of the purity of your motives, and by that he means Ministry Watch, than I am of the character of the people that I know at the Christian Post. So I guess that just goes to show you the old saying, it's true, no good deed goes unpunished. 
Now, Warren, before we go, I want you to bring us up to speed regarding the new developments at Willow Creek Community Church. Yeah, Willow Creek Community Church announced on Wednesday that a man named David Dummett, a megachurch pastor from Michigan, will be the new senior pastor at Willow Creek. The announcement comes just over two years after Willow Creek's founding pastor, Bill Hybels, resigned after being accused of abuse of power and of sexual misconduct. Now, Dave Dummett is 46 years old. He's the founding pastor of 242 Community Church, which, as I said, is a uh, megachurch in Michigan that has seven campuses. By the way, 242 stands for um, Acts 242. It's a reference to the verse there. He founded that church 15 years ago, and um, that church now attracts more than 10 thousand people a week to services. Willow Creek, though, is even bigger. Uh, Willow Creek has eight campuses in and around the Chicago area. And um, before we had the recent coronavirus pandemic, where, of course, they, you know, they shut down services, Willow Creek claimed to have about 25,000 people attending at its peak, though we did an analysis of about a month ago and discovered that weekly attendance had fallen significantly well below uh, 15,000. Still, Willow Creek has been and continues to be one of the most influential Protestant churches in the country. Now, what else can you tell us about David Dummett? Yeah, you know, he was a graduate of Wheaton College, which is right next door almost to Willow Creek. Uh, He attended Asbury Seminary, which is down in Kentucky. And he said in a statement that he's long admired the work of Willow Creek. He called himself a church kid who grew up playing in the handbell choir. And while growing up, um, he knew that um, church could be different. And that's one of the things that attracted him to Willow Creek, which was pretty innovative. He also said this, which I thought was fascinating. As a freshman at Wheaton College, I heard about this church that was doing creative things to reach lost people. And so he attended the church, and he says, I can almost point to the very seats that we sat in that day. Wow. Sounds like he has quite a history with the church. Yeah, but hopefully not too much history because the entire leadership team at Willow um, has been tainted by the recent scandals there. Bill Heibel is the um, church's entire elder board and pastors Steve Carter and Heather Larson, both of whom had been named to succeed Heibel's, have all had to resign in the fallout and the mishandling of the allegations against Bill Hybels. Uh, Dummett, by the way, begins his work at Willow Creek in early June. One final note before we close today, Warren. I understand that the IRS has issued some new filing deadlines for Christian ministries. Yeah, that's right. The IRS has uh, provided filing deadline relief for virtually all tax forms that were originally due between April 1 and July 15 of this year, automatic extensions to file until July 15th. Now, most of our listeners already know um, that this week was the April 15 filing deadline for individuals. Uh, That had been extended already, but extending these corporate and ministry deadlines has been a less well-publicized, but just as much of a relief for ministry leaders and church leaders uh, who have to file a Form 990 and other forms. And by the way, we've got the entire list of forms that have been extended uh, at the Ministry Watch website. Before we end today, I want to remind everyone about the transparency grade Ministry Watch has been posting. Warren, can you provide a quick overview? 
Yeah, on April 1, we unveiled our new transparency grades for almost all of the ministries in our database. We're still missing a few, but we're trying to work that out here uh, one at a time as we go along. We grade ministries from A to F based on how easy it is to see their financial information. We also have lists of the A grades and the F grades uh, on the front page of the Ministry Watch website. If you'd like to read more about these stories we discussed on today's program, just go to ministrywatch.com and you'll find most of the stories right on the front page. If they're not there, or if you'd like to dig around in the Ministry Watch archives of hundreds of articles and other great resources, use the search engine, also on the front page, to find what you're looking for. Yeah, also, if you ever want to take a deep dive into your favorite ministry, go to ministrywatch.com and look for the bright red Search for a Ministry button, which is at the upper left-hand side of the page. If you go there, you'll find financial information, our own financial efficiency rating, and now the transparency grades that I just mentioned for the 500 largest Christian ministries in the country. Ministry Watch is now tracking changes to the membership status of organizations in the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. We bring that information to you each and every Friday in my weekly review column. Our producers are Rich Rosel and Steve Gandy. We get our database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen Duberry, and Casey Sedith. Writers who contributed to today's program include Christina Darnell, Bob Smitana, Steve Raby, Warren Smith, and Ann Stike. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs. And I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. May God bless you.